Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 280. And with us today at MotorWeek World Headquarters is Greg Carlos, Jessica Ray, and Alexander Kellum. We're going to run down three vehicles today. We've got a lightning round. We've even got a viewer question, a little rant and raves in here. But we're going to start with a vehicle that basically we didn't believe was really going to happen until it happened. And that's the 2023 Cadillac Escalade V. And Jessica, you've had a chance to see it up close and personal. So tell us, is it as awesome as it appeared? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just like, it's such a silly vehicle. It's a almost. silly vehicle, but <laughs> at just the right time. Yeah. Gas prices are yeah. silly, too. Perfect timing. <laughs> well, I guess maybe that's a good time to mention the price, which is uh, about $150,000. So if you have six figures to spend, uh, or basically uh, many of our mortgages essentially yeah. to spend on a car like this, you're not paying that. And you want close to show attention. off that, that you can afford that and the gas. Yeah, yeah. you're not premium. Paying, I'm sure. Yes, you're not paying that close attention to uh, gas prices. But yeah, I mean, this thing is it's insane. I mean, um, just the sound of it. If you, if uh, any of our viewers out there uh, can recall our road test with the CT5 V Blackwing, um, it is that similar engine, the LT4, uh, 6.2 liter supercharged V8. And so it sounds, it just has this amazing sound to it that just when you turn it on it, and then you just slam on the throttle, it sounds and you know, so awesome. I hate to say it, but you know, it's a sound that we're not going to hear that often in the future from new vehicles. It, yeah. You know, this may be one of the last super high performance V8. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything, not mm -hmm. let alone a car or an SUV. I mean, here, here you've taken the largest SUV that General Motors makes and put in arguably, I guess, the most powerful. Um, is it the most powerful V8 they make? Is the is the VET more powerful? Uh, I think it's close. It's if, very close. I mean, there's. I know there's a there's now an LT5. Right. So it's the last generation of this yes. 6.2 liter. Um, it might not be the most powerful one they make because I think they make a, they still make a crate motor that might be a little bigger than that. I'm not any, sure. Any uh, anything they had to leave out because of it? I mean, here's a, a seven passenger plus no. uh, big SUV, full framed SUV. This is basically so. Um, you know, obviously this is this is the supercharged engine, but inside and out. Uh, pretty much the same exact as mm -hmm. a normal Cadillac Escalade. The interior is the same interior that you get with the Platinum, so it's not, which is their um, luxury vehicle, their luxury trim. Um, so it's not, uh, they didn't want it to be like Boy Racer with like a, with like a red sport mm. interior, uh, like a, like a bright red. So it's just like dark auburn or black jet black colors that you get. But it's this. It's so it's that, classy still. It's still classy. Yeah. Wouldn't want to bring attention to yourself with <laughs> as you're laying down yeah. smoke yeah. at the stoplight. You'll you'll bring enough engine with the sound <laughs> that it makes. Um, but yeah, there's there's no compromise inside. And also, what kind of surprised me is that it's available in the both the Typical, the normal wheelbase mm. and the longer ESV mm. wheelbase, which 
Oddly enough, the only press cars they had for us on this first drive were the long wheelbase ESVs. That's what the factory made. Well, I think that's probably also (laughs) saying that the folks that basically are going to be in the market for this want to get everything they can oh, uh, out of yeah. it yeah. as much as you can yeah. as much escalate as you can get. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well i should probably mention numbers right sure so, please, please 682 horsepower uh 653 pound feet of torque you have that same uh 10 speed automatic uh but it's supposed to get uh the normal wheelbase is a 4.4 second zero to 60. They said the ESV gets a 4.5 second zero to 60, um, and it should do under 13 seconds in the quarter mile. And ladies and gentlemen, this from the same brand that is going all electric, and mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks, we're going to be basically getting up close and personal with the new Cadillac Lyric, their mm-hmm. first all electric SUV. But I'm delighted to see them going out with a bang, and I think keeping the door ajar just a little bit in case they. Um, Maybe not quite ready to go full EV like they've said in the, the early press releases. Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the most fun you can have in an Escalade and will be the most fun we'll have in an Escalade until there's an all-electric version of the Escalade. Um, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, and also... And, and I'm sure that's coming. I'm sure it's all coming. It has to be. Yeah. I mean, that is their bread and butter. This, this platform is their bread and butter, um, and they do it so well. Yeah. Uh, but I also should mention, too, that this um, has the uh, most updated version of Super Cruise, which now includes automatic lane changing, which is fantastic. Now, tell us the difference between Super Cruise and the typical autonomous driving or semi-autonomous driving system that we've seen in a lot of other brands. So, yeah, so Super Cruise, this is hands-free. So it's not your typical driver assistance where um, you you still have to be paying attention, of course, but you don't have to have your hands on the wheel. And the thing with Super Cruise is that it you, it is only uh, active on certain roads. Because it's, those roads are in the memory. Yes, mm-hmm. they have all been mapped by... Whereas, whereas I think Tesla or others actually use parameters. Like it looks correct. and sees and says, okay, maybe I've never been on this road before, but it looks like all the lane markings are good. I can do it. Whereas, like you were saying, GM is like, nope, we only do it on roads we've actually driven on mm-hmm. and have deemed them acceptable for our system yes like the car no not only does the car know the road but then the car has cameras and sensors all around it so it utilizes both which in the future of autonomy is incredibly important because we really cannot you cannot move forward to another level without something like that you need to have two different types you'll have to map you'll have to have sensors and cameras etc but the big deal with this one is this new system is that if something appears in front of you it will get out of the way yeah. Well. Well. I'm, so if they're so it's it's just a really really advanced adaptive cruise control, right? Right. So you're cruising on the highway. You're staying in the right hand lane. You're coming up on a car that is driving slower than what you have the cruise control set at. It will move to the left hand lane as long as that lane is clear, and it will pass that car and then move back into the right hand so lane. So not just slow down, but actually go around them. Correct. It's clear. And that's that to me is a huge improvement. So. Yes, and it, I mean, it's one of those things that you you drive down, you know, six hours on 95, and you probably will not have to touch the steering wheel, because that entire route is As long is as you're mad. looking forward and yeah. perhaps mm-hmm. not wearing sunglasses, because if I can compare it to Lexus's system, which they call Teammate, I think, mm-hmm. um, it couldn't even see through, like, my normal sunglasses, mm-hmm. and that's part of the system is to make sure you're looking your forward, and if it can't forward. see your eyes, like I said, through these sunglasses... 
That's oh. an issue. I don't, I'm not saying that for G, the Super Cruise. Well, was, I, I think that's an I interesting sh- point. Though. I should mention, we were in Arizona, so I was wearing sunglasses the entire time I was there. And so and the Super Cruise had no problem well, there you go. seeing that. Yeah. So, the, so to be fair, um, Ford also has a similar system. Although Blue they, Cruise. Blue yes. Cruise, although we don't, it doesn't have all this capability yet. It does not. I yeah. think this is pretty much as advanced as it gets yeah. other than... Um, yeah, or for 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 typical OEMs, yeah. Okay, we're gonna stay with General Motors for uh, our next review, and we're gonna turn to Alex for this: the uh, 2022 GMC Sierra Denali Ultimate and the AT4X. Yeah, take it away. I had the opportunity to drive both in San Diego last month. Uh, admittedly, I spent a whole day in the AT4X um, and the Denali Ultimate. I only got to spend an afternoon with. So. But you're not really complaining about that. No, not at all. No. Um, so I'll start with the Denali Ultimate because that's that's kind of the shorter of the two, which also had Super Cruise in it, and I got mm-hmm. to kind of experience that a little bit. Um, again, granted for a much less amount of time. So the one I drove had a 6.2 liter V8, and the reason I bring that up is because trucks are big, trucks are heavy. This thing is loaded with everything you could possibly want. It's a luxury pickup. That being said, the 6.2 liter, uh, I think it's 420 horsepower. Um, I take it you were in a crew cab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing had no issues getting on the highway. I felt very comfortable, uh, and it makes sense because I mean, like I said, the thing's loaded. We got 16 weight power, adjustable seats, heated and cooled, massaging, all that kind of stuff. You had a 15 inch uh, head up display, a 13 inch infotainment, and a 12 inch digital gauge cluster. You had a suede headliner and all that jazz. Everybody was very comfortable, and at the open pour wood trim with the Denali, you know, everything. You get a lot in the truck, which makes sense because its MSRP is around uh, 86k. I'm sure and you can get over six figures too yeah, if you want to. Um, mm-hmm. 82,000 actually. And whenever I look at these trucks, and admittedly going out for this event, I was like, man, you know, trucks are just so expensive. Like, who buys these? But I will admit, People. every time, right. buy it. yeah, exactly. Seven year loan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You get in it, and you're like, yeah, I get it. This thing is loaded. It has everything in it. And every now and then, someone will say, like, well, no one takes those, you know, off road, or you know, no one takes those and does that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But there's again, they're buying them. People mm-hmm. want them yeah. for for mm-hmm. other things. That then leads me into the AT4X, which is an off-roader so obviously they already have this the uh, sierra denali and they already had an at4 but the x and the denali ultimate are sort of like elevated platforms of that so with the x uh, i mean you do get some other like additional off-road goodies so it is a little more capable but again it's the same deal we're getting the six-way uh, or 16-way power adjustable seats massage functions you're getting uh, the head-up display and all of that so think of it as like almost like a luxury off-roader. Like a Denali off-roader. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good way of putting yeah. it. it. That's effectively what it is. It still had the 6.2 liter V8 in it, so same powertrain. I think it's a 10-speed automatic gearbox. Mm-hmm. Highway driving was fine. It's about what you would expect. Very comfortable. Um, and I didn't feel like the on-road quality was sacrificed due to like the off-road tires or the uh, the, the so special... So you didn't hear Yeah, no, it wasn't, was not and... super loud. Didn't get yeah. a lot of road noise or rubber from it. Uh, but then going off road, we went to uh, 
Anza, I'm probably butchering the name, Anza Borrego State Park, Desert State Park, and we aired down the tires. We went out into the sand. Uh, and yeah, the AT4X, unsurprisingly, was very competent at it. Um, I was a little worried that the 6.2 liter would be maybe just a little too torquey or would spin a little bit on the rocks, but it was fine. We were getting up to 60 miles an hour out in the sand, no problem at so all. So when you were in the sand, I'm curious, <laughs> how much did you take the tires down, do you recall? If I can, if memory serves correct, it was like 17 PSI. Okay. Like it was low. Um, but that's necessary. I yeah. Mean, a lot of people that go, especially like here on the East Coast, they go out to the Outer Banks mm -hmm. and they get stuck because they don't do take yeah. the tires down mm -hmm. enough. And I, I could be wrong, but if you don't air them down enough uh, and you keep running your car like that, like you could, you could cause damage to the engine yep. if it's straining it too right. much. Right. But I mean, that's an obvious case yeah. if you're straining it. But you had no problems in sand? No, no problem. Uh, we went up, uh, there's a location in the park called Devil's Drop, which mm -hmm. um, isn't as scary as the name alludes to, but it's mm -hmm. still a steep drop and then you got to come back up and it's bumpy the whole way. I didn't have any issues and yeah, I was very comfortable doing it. I had the massagers on and everything. So, <laughs> you know, and if you're going to go off-roading and you want to do it in luxury, you know, why not go with that? And that one MSRP is around 76K. So again, if you want the complete package, um, that's the way to go. But if you don't want all that extra stuff, you can go with the standard AT4, which is still very, very loaded. I, I have to say, I saw something the other day that really looked kind of silly. It was a brand new Ford Bronco four door, and the front doors are off and the back doors were on. Nice. Oh. <laughs> Dude, it up. You don't want your kids to fall That's out. it. I guess that's it was that's exactly what it. they're thinking is like to make sure that's, the children were safe. Yeah. It just looked really weird. Yeah, but if you fall out, yeah. I mean, well, the children yeah. are not in good shape, are they? Any questions, anybody? I mean, I think it um, – did they say whether these – you know, we would see a Denali Ultimate or an AT4X on some other models, some GMC models? That was not uh, – as far as I remember, it was not – They couldn't yeah, conjecture on But no. traditionally, that's what they've yeah, done. Yeah, I would imagine we're going to see – because they kept bringing up, like, well, you know, the AT4, you know, we use that and other models because we try and – or like the Denali because we want to step it up. terrain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, since it's primarily Yukon. just trim packages, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been very successful. I give GMC a lot of credit. I didn't think they would ever be able to make GMC into a luxury brand, but they've done it. Mm -hmm. Take, it's taken them a long time, but they've done mm -hmm. it. Okay, but we're going to come back to a Greg who's going to bring us up to date on one of our favorite uh, sedans. Uh, one that is still around and still running strong. We're going to switch now to the lightning round. And each of us uh, are, have as much time, really, as we want to talk about something that is a trending automotive topic. Uh, I was sent an article that was written by Rachel Wolf in the Wall Street Journal detailing a road trip that she took uh, from New Orleans to Chicago in a rented Kia EV6, all-electric, five-door. Uh, she basically spent about 18 hours charging and only 16 hours sleeping over three and a half days. We've all taken a look at the article, and I'm wondering, she basically, I thought she did a good job of telling about a, what would happen if you're a first-time mm -hmm. driver of an all-electric vehicle and you're trying to use it as a normal car. Having said that, most of the people that have bought these vehicles so far are probably early or still in the early adopter category, and they're 
they've done their homework. Uh, they basically have been prepared when they've gone off for a trip. I don't think she was as prepared as they have, and she's ran into more problems. But not to put not to put her, her and her companion down. I think they were very typical problems and problems mm-hmm. that will are challenges for folks that are thinking about buying EVs. Having said that, let me just open it up. What do you think she should have done differently or maybe to make that trip a little bit better? And for that matter, you can even talk about shortcomings in the car that hurt the effort. I think an easy shortcoming in the car is the fact that there's no native route planning in the EV6. Like there is since like the Mach-E and Tycon and a lot of others. We've talked about it before, you know. um, That actually shows you where the charges are. I think even Volvo has a system, too. Volvo, I love I think there's a system Google, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Volvo, I think, has one of the best systems for that. It's uh, like we had the C40 recharge in, and it was just fantastic. But, yeah, so so if you don't have that, that, you know, a lot of people talk about range anxiety, range anxiety, range anxiety. When you have a system like that within your car, reading your car's data, there is no range anxiety because it, t- it says you're going to be at 15% when you stop at this charger. And you will stop here and charge for 45 minutes and you will get to this percentage and then you get back on the road. So it will plan your entire trip for you. It even has, you know, what type of chargers are there if it's a 150 kilowatt fast charger is it a 300 you know which is very important because that's all yes. that's all about the amount of time it takes to uh, recharge the car yes so and they ran into that problem correct and not having that and um also not knowing the differences between the fast charging because level two is not really fast charging no. but like i think some people might think it because is a fast it's, charger. it's faster than 110 Right, which at this point, and really everything slow. is right. mm-hmm. faster than 110. But like level, you know, level two, which could be, which there's a lot of level twos out there, mm-hmm. you know, kind of at random places, dealerships, yeah, grocery stores, grocery stores. But like that's not a, anything you want to stop at on a road trip. No, level two will give you something in the order of 14 to 16 miles per hour in charging. Yeah, where a D, a real fast charger dc fast charger theoretically should be able to get you up to 80 percent in under 40 minutes right and that's like if you you could stop at a level two when you're done for the night you know on a road trip because then you'll probably start somewhere closer to 85 percent 90 percent um but yeah that that's a that's a really if she was in a different car we would that article would be completely different anybody else uh, yeah, um, I think she kind of got jumped on by a lot of our automotive journalist friends because, um, like you alluded to, John, mm-hmm. like we we uh, live and breathe this yeah, stuff. Yeah, we, we understand. We, we what, should what know to what do. to do. By gosh, um, so. you know, and I think that came through um, because she had mentioned that, like, oh, well, it turns out that it's actually less efficient on the highway. Well, actually, mm-hmm. we, I mean, we know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Electric Higher cars the speed, are built the, generally the for the city, use. right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's something she could have known. Um, she had mentioned uh, that she left it in cruise control, and I would imagine it's adaptive cruise control in the EV6. She thought mm-hmm. that was the most efficient way. And I'm not so convinced. I don't have any data to back mm-hmm. myself up on it, but I know when I use cruise control, adaptive cruise control, it's it's the speed is up and down, up and down because you're following different cars. I don't think that's super efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are minor things like that. But I think that the main thing that I would have done differently is base the trip 
around fast chargers because that's what fast chargers are for for long yeah. trips and she did it i think based off of just what a traditional ice car would do just straight up the highway and then find those level twos along the way yeah you might have had to go out of the way it wasn't the most direct route but if you would plan it around fast chargers i think she would have found that it would have been a lot um less stressful and, and, and ultimately since you're not on the highway as much you probably wouldn't use as much um, battery power. Mm -hmm. And there are some very good apps that even if you don't have the car's capability to map out the route, there are some good apps available. Uh, one of the best and oldest actually is the ones from our folks, friends at the U.S. Department of Energy. If you just go onto the app store and plug in alt fuels, it'll pop up and you can tailor it to just show you fast chargers mm -hmm. and it'll plan your route. But there are others, right? Yes, there are. Yeah. What was the one... Uh, Plug share. Plug share. Plug share. Yeah. Went right out of That'll my head. Show you That's a good one as well. Around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you have to be a little more. It's you have to be uh, a little more savvy because yeah. because uh, the nomenclature for like charger chargers yeah. it'll give you like the the weird like numbers and stuff mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. So you just have to sort yeah. of. Yeah, I thought that I did. You know, I picked that up too. And plug share it gives you the the types of plugs. Like CC, right. yeah, and it's so like, the, the, well, you know, it's most not telling people me don't the info I want. Yeah. I want to know how fast it is. Yeah. Is it working? Yeah. And I think, each, mm -hmm. each of the major. Now on my phone, I've got an app from all of the major charging networks. So mm -hmm. whatever I end up at, I I'm prepared for that. But, and that's something else you could. But done. that I mean. I, I think this highlights generally, though, that it, electric vehicles, for the most part, maybe Tesla excluded, um, are not ready for these types of trips. Just like, hey, I'm going to go take a road trip. I got to go a thousand miles. Yeah. I mean, you have to like seriously plan these things out, especially in the middle of the country. We're kind of different on the yeah, East Coast. The East and West Coast, yeah. you've got we more have, chargers. We've got a lot of chargers. Yeah. Um, the infrastructure is a lot better. Um, but I know when I go see my uh, my sister who lives uh, down in North Carolina, and she lives in an area where you would think it's pretty metropolitan, but the nearest fast charger is like 20 miles from her mm. house, mm. and mm. she doesn't have the capability to charge overnight except with the 110. Alex, anything you might have done different? Um, well, kind of going uh, basically the main point I was going to make was already said is is really it's it's a good like kind of like exercise in comparing what an EV can do compared to traditionally what you would do in an ICE. But it does go to show that, yeah, the infrastructure is just not there yet. Um, but the thing that I wanted to point out that stood out in the article to me was so she rented the car and this isn't obviously like an attack or anything, but she rented the car through Turo mm -hmm. and she wasn't even sure if it ended up being like the long range model mm -hmm. or the version yeah. the top trim that had i think like 310 miles mm -hmm. yes now it's i like mean a 50 mile difference yeah between the two. and i was gonna say like i i know like 50 miles isn't like the end of the world but especially when when you know range anxiety being the thing that it is yeah 50 miles can make a big difference it's a lot you know? for an ev yeah yes. exactly so again i'm not saying that like not saying anything offensive about it but yeah maybe she could have known like going into it like but do I have the model yeah, that's better equipped for this? She was misled and, by yeah, Tur and that and that goes to show that, that that when people go out and buy EVs, yeah, they have to do their homework and also, know what they're going to do. You know, Hertz and other big rental car companies have bought 
thousands have, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't gotten them all yet, but they have ordered thousands and thousands of EVs mm-hmm. to be put in normal rental car fleets. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if people say go to Florida and they end up with an EV, you know, outside of Disney World and they want to go over to uh, the Kennedy Space Flight Center and go down here, they've got to be very conscious because they just can't do it like they normally would because unless they've done their homework to find these chargers. Yeah. Once again, I I think uh, Rachel, uh, it was a a fun article to read. I highly recommend it to anyone that just wants to bone up on their knowledge, but what they faced and what happened to them is I'm unfortunately is very typical of what the first time uh, EV buyer that's not schooled in this, like we are, is going to experience. And this, Real quick before we wind it up, this brought up another issue we recently had in the uh, Toyota, what is it, BZ? BZ4X. Mm-hmm. BZ4X, their first uh, all-electric uh, SUV, I guess, or I guess they had the RAV4. Yeah, the but, RAV4. This is anyway, the first, like, first full production one. First yeah, full, full production, production one. And we were complaining because it's pretty simplified on the inside, and it doesn't give you as much information as we would have liked to have had. But that's probably what most buyers will want. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so you you still got to do your homework if you're going to take a trip in an EV. Moving on real quick, do we add another question uh, from Larry Mandel? What are some of the best phone apps for EVs? I think we touched on a couple, the Alt Fuel one from the U.S. Mm-hmm. Department of Energy and Plug Share. Anybody got any others? Yeah, so there. So one of the things that uh, Rachel could have really, really used, um, and it would have helped a lot, is there's a fantastic app that will do route planning for you. And it's called a better route planner. Hmm. They have a browser. They have an app on the phone. Essentially, you put in your EV. You can even put, you know, I'm starting at this percentage. And it will tell you where to stop, how long you're going to stop, and how long it's going to take you to get to your destination. It'll say you're driving 12 hours and you're stopping for an hour and a half to charge. Because what it's going to do is it's going to, you know, these things are more complicated than our brains. Hmm. You know, like an app is going to tell you the most efficient way for you to charge. And sometimes the most efficient way for you to charge is not charging all the way to 80%, hmm. right? It'll tell you to, you know, charge this percentage. Because you don't need that much to get where you're going. you don't need that much to get where you're going. Um, so, yeah, a better route planner is, is something that I would recommend. And, of course, uh, unfortunately, you're going to need pretty much every... Uh, branded public EV charger app because most of them do it by the phone now where you have mm. to have your phone and you put, you put your phone right. up next Electrify to it. Electrify America, it can Charge be Point. Super simple those. though, like because I just put a, a little card, like Charge Point gave me this card that I put in my Apple wallet. So it's super simple, easy to mm-hmm. recall. You you connect your uh, you know credit card with all of that and it should be pretty, pretty simple. But unfortunately right now you're going to have to have... Um, a bunch of different apps. So I would recommend anybody who buys an EV should uh, see which ones you're using the most and make sure you keep those on your phone and up to date. There you go, Larry. I hope that helps. We're going to go back to cars now with an internal combustion engine, the 2022 Volkswagen Jetta GLI, one of our favorites. Greg, is it still one of our favorites? Yeah, uh, I don't it's, see how you can't have fun in this car. I, I mean, mean, it's basically the sedan version of a GTI, but yeah, and um, it's uh, the 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 GLI um, is basically equals performance for 
for um, Volkswagen. Uh, we'll start with the engine, as uh, John alluded to before. 228 horsepower, turbo four-cylinder engine, 258 pound-feet of torque is the fun part of the engine, because it is. It's a, it's a torquey little machine, and it's fun to drive around. We had the six-speed manual. And uh, that is definitely the way I would go. Uh, one note, I didn't love the clutch in this one or the uh, long term we had. It just was a little light for my mm. um, preference. But that is definitely a preference thing. I know there's some people who really, uh, I've talked to people who have really enjoyed the setup. The shifter is just smooth as can yeah, be. Really, I mean, it's just really a really, if you want to teach somebody how to drive a manual transmission, this might be the car to do it on or a Miata, either of those two. Mm -hmm. um, a Miata is just great for everything. Uh, <laughs> I just have to throw that in there. Um, so yeah, the um, the reason we had this one in was it's actually a refreshed version um, of the GLI. So not a ton has changed. They updated some styling on the front end. The rear end has this new like honeycomb grill, like lower grill, um, just like a sporty touch, which is then um, flanked by two larger exhaust tips, which Volkswagen says makes the car sound better. Um, it kind of sounded similar to the last one, our long term, which was <laughs> that pre-refresh one, but still pretty good. Uh, it's not, I'm pretty sure they enhanced the sound inside through the speakers some way. But again, I'm of the mind that as long as it's tricking my brain into thinking it sounds good, <laughs> yeah. it sounds good, then it sounds good. Yeah. If you want a European sports sedan, you can't do better for the money than a Jetta GLI. Yeah. You really can. And they simplified it for you. They used to offer an S grade and then an Autobahn grade, and now it's just like one. You get a GLI, you get everything that they offered on the previous version. Um, so, you know, heated seats, nice infotainment, a great-looking di their digital gauge cluster. Um, as far as um, daily drivability, I could – drive this thing all day mm -hmm. long every week um, it's super comfortable on the highway it does have adaptive suspension so you can put it in the comfort it tones down some of that exhaust it makes it a little bit softer um, very drivable i took the uh, our, again I, I know i keep switching back and forth between the new updated one we drove versus our long term but uh, they didn't change much in the way of suspension or anything and i drove it uh, on, a, on a three hour road trip with my daughter in a car seat in the back, plenty of room back there for her. I was comfortable up front. And I got like 35, mm -hmm. 36 miles per gallon on the highway. It's rated at, I think, 37. And that's, I mean, that's Again, solid. That's, that's solid true. highway mileage. You get in it. We, we drive so many big SUVs now mm -hmm. and electric vehicles. And you get in it. And it just reminds you of the joy of driving. And we just can't lose that. And this is the kind of car that just says... Hey, you know, it, it doesn't have to be all uh, clogged uh, commuting. You mm -hmm. can actually get out with something reasonably priced and just enjoy yourself. It, yeah, it's, it's just light. It's yeah. possible. It's, yeah. not, it's not intimidating at all. Like mm -hmm. If anybody's wondering, like, oh, I don't think I'm ready for a performance version of a Jetta, yeah. you, you are. It's just... It's I not mean, ultra high No, it's not high performance at all. I mean, it's... It's just quick enough and just stiff enough to like really kind of uh, liven up your senses a little bit. Anyone else have any other? It's just a terrific little vehicle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I Greg mean, said it all. Quiet around the yeah. table. Greg said it all. I, I learned how to drive manual in a Jetta, so I'm glad that people could experience Thank the same goodness thing. they still offer it. <laughs> Say, uh, before we wrap things up, anyone have any rants or raves this week? Anything bothering them one way or the other? Yeah. Um, oh, Greg's got something. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've come across this a few times, but and I have a friend who does it, but 
using a coffee mug, like a traditional coffee mug with no lid in the car, drives me mm. nuts. <laughs> Living on the edge. I mean, you're a maniac if you do that. What? First Why? of all, a coffee mug with a handle that, that you put your fingers in does not fit in any cup holder known to man at, in any vehicle. Well, that's why and then you're just asking for trouble. I don't care if, if you are the most careful driver in the history of driving, you are going to spill some coffee around the cup holder in that shifter area, and it's then you got to clean it. And guess what? If if you are one of the people who does this, you're probably not going to clean it. And I don't. I understand I might be alienating some people, but you are psychotic. Psychotic. <laughs> If you do this, I just don't like. Why not just get a travel mug, man? I didn't know. Or drink your coffee first. You know, I bet you on Etsy. I can't talk. Somebody has created a 3D printed adapter for a cup holder specifically. Then why not 3D print a lid? (laughs) Like, what's the point? It's interesting. I've got an old Ford Ranger, and all of the cup holders have cutouts for handles. For a mug. For a mug. And I use mugs in them because there is a space. It goes around. All right. And it's Everybody got a space. send me your pictures of your coffee mug in a cup holder, and I will look at all of them and still call you psychotic because That's it doesn't have a lid on it. Man, you're going to be getting a lot of ads it's just, on Twitter. Oh, it's just it's madness. <laughs> oh, I think we're going to leave it right there. Greg's Twitter handle is motor MW Greg Carlos with two S's. Please. <laughs> just so you know. Please send it all to me. I want it. Okay. Uh, thanks very much, everybody. Thanks to Greg Carlos, our over-the-edge reporter, our digital producer, Jessica Ray, and our writer, Alexander Kellum. Alex, thanks a lot. And we're going to thank our audio engineer, Jillian Cookman, our podcast producer, of course, is Jessica Ray, and podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Thanks all of you out there for joining us on this Motor Week podcast, number 280. If you want more of Motor Week, hop on over to our website at motorweek.org. If you're wondering where you can see Motor Week, the television series, go up to the upper right-hand corner of our website, pull down about the show, put in your zip code and you'll get a list of stations and times in your area you can also see us over on mav tv at mavtv.com pull down schedule and they'll tell you when we're seeing in your areas plus you can stream us you can go to youtube.com slash motorweek and see all of our features Mm -hmm. we're at pbs.org slash motorweek and it's a free stream of all of our recent episodes if you have a video screen of any time you can watch and listen to Motor Week. Okay? Mm-hmm. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org and watch Motor Week television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.